We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 81 of the That's So Mets podcast. We are still chugging along here during this MLB lockout. We are not going anywhere. And it is episode 81. Janeshwi Fargus wore number 81 for one week with the Mets last year. That is the only player to wear number 81 in New York Mets history. So this is the Janeshwi Fargus for one week episode. David Stearns connected to the Mets. Once again, this was this is a story that uh, seems like it will truly never end. The CBA talks, not the best right now. And we will dive into both of those things before we get into a mailbag answering your questions, which are as creative as ever. And we'll get into some Mets specific questions as well, of course. All right, Joe, let's bring in. I, I would love to really ask you, how are things going? But I think uh, we've talked enough off air with how disappointed we are with the state of negotiations, but truly how are you right now? This sucks. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. This, this just really sucks. I, I'm doing okay. Like obviously everything's going okay here, but man, I am, I'm sure you all are sick of listening to it. I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of thinking about it. I'm sick of looking at Evan Drellick's Twitter every day to see if he has an update on the CBA. Like, I'm sick of it. I'm over it. I want baseball. The Super Bowl's over. Like I was able to utilize the NFL playoffs as like, all right, whatever. The CBA is going on. They'll figure that out. You know, I could watch the NFC Championship, the AFC Championship, the Super Bowl, all that good stuff. And it's just like, all right, now that's over. Now what? Oh, no progress. Fantastic. Yeah, dude, it is. It, it, you're we're basically running out of things to say to describe our frustration with this. And, you know, there's a lot to unpack here with what's going on with the CBA talks. I've said before that I think every time Rob Manfred speaks, it it somehow makes things worse because it's hard to take anything he says uh, quite seriously, especially when you are the commissioner of the league and you're just not operating in the manner that you need to, to get your sport, what's best for your sport. So I think there, there's been that frustration of things. There's been the whole countdown clock we've been watching. Um, you know, obviously it with a fear of the regular season being impacted, of course, for people like you and I, and many of our listeners that love spring training, it's obviously disappointing when, when that's impacted. It's such a unique time of year in all of sports. It's such a, a positive time of year and you could see all the makeover and the changes of your team. You get to see some of the young players, you get to see a different kind of atmosphere. That's a little bit more laid back. So it's, it's undoubtedly just, it's just disappointing. There's no way around it. And, 
you know, you and I were going to get into some of these CBA talks to kind of keep our listeners updated of, of what is actually going on. So as it stands right now, Joe, what is what stands out to you? Like when you watch this from afar, you get the reports, you, you know, the previous collective bargaining agreement as well as anyone I've ever met. What do you look at right now and go, OK, maybe this is what is going to be a struggle to get over the hump. And what is your overall wide angle view of this entire situation? So I'm going to mention quick. I listened to Kevin, Kevin Goldstein's podcast. I'm not one for uh, promoting other people's podcasts, but uh, Kevin, Kevin's great. Worked for the Astros, works at Fangraphs. Uh, he had Joel Sherman on his pod to talk about the CBA and they talked for 40 minutes, 35 minutes, whatever. Um, the one thing that stood out to me that they said was, and honestly, it frustrated me. I, I told you this off air as well, is they basically said, you know, talking to people around the league, you know, obviously they're going back and forth about different things. But when they actually eventually ratify a CBA, which they're going to do baseball, like there's going to be baseball. It's just a matter of when do we get baseball? But the CBA that gets ratified will not look drastically different than the proposals that we are seeing publicly right now. That irritates the hell out of me. It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? You're really going to sacrifice opening day, which is you know, pitchers and catchers. That's for guys like you, me, our listeners, the diehards. The regular old baseball fan doesn't actually care about pitchers and catchers. Um, they care about opening day. So you, you're going to jeopardize opening day over, over some things that are ultimately going to look pretty similar doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, you're talking about the arbitration pool. Right now, uh, MLBPA is at $100 million. MLB is at, I believe, $15 million. So obviously there's quite the gap there. But we're talking about something that, like I've said on the show, I'm pro player and I want the players to get everything they can. At the end of the day, an arbitration bonus pool or pre-arbitration bonus pool Nobody actually cares from a fan perspective, even the real people like I don't I don't really care anymore what the pool is. It could be 40 million, 50 million, 30 million. I don't care. I'm over it. Like we know it's happening. Figure out a damn number. The minimum salary. Uh, I thought MLB's proposal this past Saturday, I feel like that's where they made the most growth uh, was their proposal for the minimum salary. Uh, they basically gave the MLBPA two options a flat 650,000 and you have the ability to pay more if they, you know, exceed. Like I know that Pete Alonso after his rookie year, the Mets gave him more than the minimum salary, even though they didn't have to, or they have a tiered system that I believe tops out at, it was either 720, I think it was 725 for the last year of uh, minimum salary. So uh, they bend, they did bend a little bit there. But ultimately, those two financial things, they're going to work them out. Um, to me, the biggest thing that's holding back an agreement without knowing all the minutiae and little things that they're going through from just a major point standpoint is the CBT tax penalties. I don't think the players care what the CBT number is. Like they look and they see 214, 216, 222. You know, they counted at 245, but I don't think they 
I don't think they care so much about the physical tax number. It's the penalties that are levied on those tax numbers, which is what ultimately makes it like a salary cap instead of a luxury tax. The point is, I mean, just use the words for what they are. You get taxed for the luxury of spending more. The tax should be purely financial. Um, And MLB's proposal that they made most recently, they did take away uh, losing a third round pick for hitting the first level of the CBT tax threshold, but they kept in a second rounder at the second level and a first rounder at the third level. Uh, that can't happen. If I were MLBPA, that's that would be my personal deal breaker. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't cave on that. I would say, I'll I'll give a bunch on the ARB pool. I'll accept your minimum salary proposal. You need to take draft pick compensation away because that is what is getting teams to not exceed the luxury tax or be afraid of it and treat it like a salary cap. I mean, there wasn't many teams that exceeded it, but there was a handful of teams that basically were, th- were, were within a few million of it. So there were teams that are willing to do it, but they know the penalties, so they just cut off a little bit early. That's a problem. So what they need to do, in my opinion, is get that draft pick compensation out of here. It should be a financial tax. It could be a fairly big financial tax. I think it probably will be. But the teams that are willing to do it will be more willing to accept a financial penalty. Because frankly, if you're the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Padres were right up against it. But like those kind of teams that want to play in that realm, the Dodgers obviously, like they're going to be willing to pay the financial penalty. And maybe you spin those luxury tax payments into the arbitration pool or you somehow filter them into revenue sharing. Like there's a way you can u- spin this money into something different. Um, so to me, that's where I think the deal is being held up. I think it's much more on the CBT tax. I think the arbitration pool and minimum salary thing, it's something, but I think it may be getting blown a little out of proportion. Yeah, I think that checks out. I think when you look at it, this is a league where the players obviously unlike many other leagues it takes them a substantial amount of time to get to free agency because when you get drafted you know if you're fortunate enough to be a first round pick yeah the money is different but obviously not everybody's that fortunate but then you go through the minor leagues for a long time and then you get called up obviously you have the scale process and then eventually you have the arbitration process and then that's why so many of these guys get to free agency at 30 years old. I mean, let's be real. The guys that hit free agency at like 26 are unicorns at this point. So they need to, and you highlight, you really outlined this and highlighted this really well, Joe, they need to find a way to protect the benefit of their free agency, right? The, the disadvantage of MLB free agency as a player is that it takes you so long to get there that you, you know, there's a lot of obstacles. You might not be, Uh, You might not stay healthy until that point. Teams might not value you the same way because you're an old free agent. There's so many obstacles in your way that you need to protect. The one big advantage you do have in free agency is that money for a select amount of clubs in the sport. And this is also another issue, but a select amount of clubs is rarely an issue. And obviously we do a Mets pod. We root for a team that, and, and 
I think we're very qualified to speak on this because it has not always been this way. It's very recent that, that money is not an issue for them, that you can maximize your value because you have those teams in the bidding for your services like the Dodgers, like the Mets, like the Yankees. You know, we've seen the Phillies throw around really big money. We've seen the Red Sox throw around really big money. And having those teams in the picture helps you maximize your contract when you finally get to free agency. And like you just said, the current, you know, idea that a a penalty would be more than monetary would include draft pick taxing is insane because then the teams like the Mets, like the Yankees, like the Dodgers, you know, the Mets talk about being the East Coast Dodgers. The Dodgers obviously are the Dodgers. They really value the farm system so much so that when they do get things right with their big league club, that maybe they, with that tax, they'd be more hesitant to spend because of how much they value their tra- scouting, drafting, and developmental system where they can't lose picks. So that's a mega issue. And, and maybe it's one that is a pipe dream for the league. Like when they put that kind of you know proposal in, they go, okay, we know this is never going to happen, but we're going to start with this and work our way down. But I just look at that one and go, there's no way the players can resume you know, baseball again if draft pick tax is annual for teams that go over that luxury. That's a fantastic point. What you just said at the end, I mean, the whole diatribe was, uh, was good, but the very end, what you said is the yearly thing. Uh, that's a change in the in the proposal from MLB as well. That this penalty, like uh, we had talked about this earlier in the off season, we talked with Ron Pope about it, and it was like, all right, you could spend for 2022 and 2023, but then you have to reset your luxury tax penalties after 2023. So for 2024, you don't spend as much, and you go under, and then you work your way back over. Uh, now it's not that anymore. Basically, it would be yearly. So if the Mets wanted to continually be over the luxury tax, using them as an example, given our podcast, then they would lose. A, as long as they were in the second or third level, they would lose a draft pick every single year. And like you said, that cannot happen. I do wonder if MLB... Uh, caving on the third round pick for the first level of going over implies their willingness to at, at minimum consider getting rid of the second level. Like I think you could, t- I mean, if push comes to shove, they had to do like a second round pick for the highest level. That feels like the absolute worst case that MLB should even consider, but frankly, or, I'm sorry, MLBPA should consider but frankly, I just wouldn't do, I wouldn't take anything with that. They removed uh, compensation for free agent signings. So the qualifying offer system as we know it will not be the same. Um, Tim Healy did say that basically how it will work is the qualifying offer system will stay in place as far as being able to make the qualifying offer. And if it's declined, the team that loses the free agents. So the Mets with Noah Syndergaard, they offered him the qualifying offer. He said no. He signed with the Angels. The Mets get a compensatory pick. That part would stay the same. Um, But the Angels, in this case, lose a pick as well. So in this CBA, 
that part won't happen. So hypothetically, you know, I, I believe it wouldn't go in place till next year, but in a world that it was effective right now, the Mets could sign Carlos Correa and not lose a pick, but the Astros would get a pick. So that to me is the right use of the qualifying offer system. So I am good. I think that was a good job by MLB proposing that part of it. Uh, but as far as the c- competitive bat- balance stacks, they got to get those draft picks out of there. If I were the MLBPA, I'd do everything in my power to get those out of there. To me, that's the big win that the MLBPA can get in this CBA. Because uh, I think they have to realize that they're not going to hit a five-run home run here. They're not going to get everything they want. Pick your battles. I think the, the competitive balance tax is a is a big, big win for the MLBPA. And that's what I would be focused on. And let's just talk, let's just talk real numbers here. Let's talk calendar, right? I mean, it's as we record February 15th. Rob Manfred made it clear that he believed they need a month or 28 days at minimum of spring training in order to start the season on time. He also said they needed just under a week for getting everyone to camp, getting visas uh, resolved. They're going to have to do a Rule 5 draft somewhere, um, free agency, trades, all things like that. Where we stand today, you're looking at, I would say, absolute max 10 days. I think I think 10 days feels like the absolute reasonable max time in which they can come to an agreement and not impact the regular season. And I'll tell you, Connor, I have said, for the last few weeks on this podcast that deadlines make deals. And I think ultimately, you know, one side will cave and something will happen. Um, For the first time today, I just, I just don't feel confident that the season's starting on time. Um, Still could Uh, dead. Like I said, deadlines make deals. Maybe it's last minute, you know, uh, hard negotiating. And then, you know, one of the sides will cave on something and, and they'll figure out a deal, but I'm not confident now. And I won't be confident until they get out of this structure that they've had, which is MLB makes a proposal on Saturday. MLBPA goes, okay, we'll take a few days to review it. And then we'll set up a meeting to make another proposal. You're just burning time on the calendar that you don't have. I'll take it seriously when I realize they're done doing this back and forth proposal stuff. And they just say, let's sit at a table. We know what we agree on. We know what we don't. Let's just figure out what we don't agree on. Like, let's talk about the arbitration bonus pool, not in a light of I offer 20, you offer 80. Let's just talk and find a middle ground. Let's figure out the minimum salary. Let's talk through the competitive balance tax. Until they're doing that type of conversation, I have no reason to believe the season's starting on time right now. And I think that's totally fair. I mean, they've given you no reason at this point to believe that with everything that's leaked out about the negotiations. So, I think when it comes down to it, you're right, Joe, a lot can change by the time we record our show next week, or if there's an agreement, we'll jump on a stream on the YouTube channel. Like a lot can change, but as it stands right now that we are in, we are nearing, you know, that hourglass emptying out and, and it being scary hours right now. There's just no doubt about that. All right. Well, let's move to a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a happier topic. It's just so intriguing at this point, how long this saga has gone on. And that's David Stearns. Um, obviously the lead man in charge of the Milwaukee Brewers 
you know, baseball operations. He is their team president of baseball operations. A, a younger guy, a guy from New York, a lot of ties uh, always with the Mets. Every time the Mets are looking for an executive. And the oddly enough, the status of his contractual agreement with the Brewers has been kept under wraps, which uh, to me personally is fascinating. These are things that are very hard to keep secretive in this industry. Usually, you know, it's could not even it's not always even, you know, your agent necessarily that it gets out from. But it could be somebody that, of knowledge uh, within that agency, somebody outside the agency. So nobody really knew David Stern's availability. And it, what it comes down to is great work by Andy Martino, who found out. And this is very interesting. Uh, Andy Martino said it's finally it's finally been revealed uh, from his sources and one of those sources has direct knowledge of the situation. If the Brewers win the National League pennant, so if the Brewers are in the World Series next year, Stearns becomes a free agent after 2022. If they do not, and Mets fans, let's not root for the Brewers to make the World Series. Let's not get crazy like that. If they do not, he becomes a free agent after 2023. Now, a lot of people are probably sitting here, myself included, and would say, Hey, well, let's let's see what Billy Epler's got right now. We've loved his offseason. He's been proactive. He obviously uh, has made a lot of moves that have been very positive in the in the view of the fans and in the view of the team organization and everything in that regard. So I think when you look at it, what interests me in Martino's report is that uh, Epler is friends or Epler's friends in the industry say that he would not necessarily mind working with Stearns, who is a longtime friend. So. Listen, I'm all for the more bright baseball minds working for the Mets than ever. And this isn't a story that, you know, we're going to spend a ton of time on because it's it's a little bit far away. But it is interesting that, you know, it, it seems like Epler would be willing to put things aside and work with Stearns and that Stearns could very well potentially with how good the Brewers are, Stearns could very well be uh, a free agent sooner than we expected. I'm glad we have some clarity. Uh, it's I mean, the Mets yeah, are going frustrating. To yeah, the Mets are going to the World Series, of course. So uh, let's just assume that David yes. Stearns is free after 2023, which, you know, he may in that time decide to sign an extension with the Brewers. He may opt to stay. Like, there's no guarantee he's actually going to pursue free agency. Um, I do think it's a very weird incentive for an executive. I, have, I don't think I've ever heard of this before, uh, but maybe I'm just not in tune enough with executive contracts in baseball. Um, as far as Stearns and Billy Epler's relationship, oddly, um, I may have a little bit of insight into this. Supposedly, Hello. they are more than just friends. Like, it comparable will be like me and you, like close, like close, close, not just like friends because one, you know, we both work in baseball and we've talked trade or whatever, like our friendly, like we're talking friends, friends. Like, uh, someone told me that David Stearns is outside of Brian Cashman, Billy Epler's best friend in the sport. So we're talking about a very close relationship. I think he recognizes what David Stearns is. And, you know, I think he'd be very comfortable with a structure of David Stearns as president of baseball operations and himself as general manager. Um, I think in that structure, you see, you know, Billy Epler do a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff, which is what I think he very much enjoys doing. And David Stearns oversee the whole operation. Um, obviously, that could be two years away or maybe never. Who knows? But 
in the world that he becomes free. I do believe the Mets will pursue him. I know with some level of authority that Stearns and Epler are very close, maybe even a little more close than even uh, intimated in that article. So something that bears watching, um, you know, maybe Milwaukee makes that run this year. Like I said, the Mets are probably going to, so sucks for them. But, uh, you know, I, I think this Stern stuff is something we'll never let go. He might be the white whale for a while, but uh, if if it comes to fruition that he gets free, whether that's after this year or after next year, I think we'll very much be talking David Stern's Mets again. Um, but in an ideal world, we're taking a year break from that. And uh, it's good to at least have this information so that that status is not is not uh, so much up in the air anymore. Yeah, it, it's just clarity on the situation where if the, the Brewers make the World Series, everybody's going to be talking about and connecting Stearns to the Mets again. I also think, Joe, there's part of me, and maybe this is just wishful thinking, that there is so much noise about Stearns and the Mets. And let's not forget, Stearns has not passed on the Mets. The Brewers have denied the Mets permission to speak to him twice. That the fact that this just keeps coming around now for yeah. it feels like the third year in a row, like, right. The, there was the first year, then there was last like no November. Um, and then now it's again, we're sitting here in, in almost March and it's coming up again. Uh, to me, that feels like it's lingering for a reason. Right. Uh, I think and and maybe Stearns wants it that way. Maybe Stearns. Uh, management or representation team wants it that way. There's there's oh, a yeah. lot of reasons. So yeah, it's it's good business. Um, so this is something that you and I will will have our eye on and, and bring back up less than a year from now. So yeah, the last th let's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about the David Stern situation, and hopefully we don't have to talk about it, like you said, for a while. But um, it is not a coincidence, in my opinion, that Matt Arnold got a multi year extension from the Brewers instead of becoming the president of baseball operations point. of the New York Mets. I think that's just something that bears watching. And uh, yeah, I think, I think they, I do think Milwaukee may be prepping for life after Stearns. And I think that's probably what they told Arnold. Otherwise I think it would be a very peculiar move for him to turn down the top dog job with the Mets to stay under a 36 year old or whatever David Stearns is president of baseball operations who in theory, if his contract doesn't expire and he resigns, could never leave Milwaukee and be there forever. And that limits, you know, Arnold's growth. So that didn't feel like a coincidence to me, but we'll see after 2023. No, it's a great call. It's it makes a lot of these things all happen in a line for a reason. So with that being said, gone through the CBA, gotten through the Stearns talk again. Uh hopefully. One, we never have to have a conversation about again. The other, hopefully, we're having it for good reasons. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. 
Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, with that being said, it's mailbag time. And the first one is from an insane Mets fan who asked, could Mark Vientos make the opening day roster if one of Dom, J.D. Davis, or McNeil is traded? And Joe, I'll add on a little bit of a second question into this to throw your way. Could a shortened spring training hurt a guy like Vientos and his prospects, you know, his prospective chance at, at cracking the opening day roster? That's exactly where I was going to go with it. Uh, so your question basically sort of answers our buddy uh, insane Met fans question there. I think, I don't think so. Even if there was an agreement tomorrow and we had essentially a full spring training, uh, I still don't think Vientos would make it even with one of those guys traded. Um, but certainly with the truncated spring training that is obviously going to occur, um, I don't I, I don't think there's really much of a chance, but I look forward to seeing Vientos in some big league games. I'd like to see him get, you know, a little action early on against the, uh, you know, some major league pitchers just to see what he looks like. But we also don't know what a truncated spring training means for spring training playing time for these young guys. Like Vientos may show up to spring training and get like three at bats and just basically hang out for a few days and then get sent down to minor league camp. Like if we're talking about a 28 day spring training or 27 day spring training, something like that, there's not going to be time for these teams to play around with playing these prospects a bunch. They're, they're going to have to be getting these regular players ready quick. And that's a concern from a health standpoint, in my opinion, that I won't be shocked if you see more injuries of spring training than in previous ones. And now with a truncated one, a hamstring pull is wiping you out for opening day. You're simply just, there's not enough days for you to actually make it back. Uh, so. Yeah, that's that's kind of a elongated fear of this truncated spring training. But my general thought is Vientos won't make the opening day roster kind of regardless. But certainly the shorter one makes it even more difficult. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. I'm just looking at it and I'm going a guy like Vientos, who was a long shot to begin with. And, you know, he obviously is coming off a marvelous developmental year, but was a long shot to begin with because 
of the fact of the roster crunch and the fact that he's that the team probably doesn't view him as ready yet. You would need as much time and as much plate appearances as possible and getting comfortable with the role. Uh, he's he is truly a guy that we do not know where he's going to play on the team at the big league level. He's been a third baseman. Uh, they tried to give him a, a quick look in right field last year. Uh, obviously, the DH is coming to the National League. But at the end of the day, you know, that you need time to figure those out. And major league teams, I know, unfortunately, the Mets have done this, but major league teams don't like finding that out in major league games, right? Like, you don't like finding yeah. out that J.D. Davis can't play left field when your season matters. So I think they want to use the minor leagues for that. All right. The next one is from Steve Dot Miller. Always sends us great stuff. He said, thoughts on James McCann for the next few years. I think he can easily bounce back and have a solid season. What do you think, Joe? Uh, I wish I wish I could say I had confidence. Um, his underlying numbers, so his obviously baseline numbers were very poor. Um, but his underlying numbers suggest he's closer to the guy that got non-tendered than the guy that got four years and $40 million. So... I am not confident. I don't particularly see anything. I didn't see anything with my eyes watching him on TV every day. I don't see anything in the underlying numbers that give me really much reason to believe that he's going to be drastically different. Um, I'm I'm obviously not calling the contract a bust. Like, like Steve said, you know, he's going to come, he's going to start this year. He's going to have, you know, the opportunity to, you know, reestablish himself and maybe prove that his first year here uh, was a fluke of some sorts. But yeah, I am I am close to saying, boy, that contract's not a good one. Same with me. And I, I liked the signing um, a lot. And I felt like it was one they had to make at the time if they weren't going to go after Real Muto. But, you know, my take on McCann is, is he as bad as we saw last year? I, I don't think so. But will he be the guy that made an all-star team in 2019? No, that's that's just not who he's going to be. I think it's somewhere in the middle, which is often how baseball goes, that he, if you can get back, him back to the 2017 season he had, where he had an OPS of 733, he hit 13 home runs, you know, he batted 253. That's a pretty significant upgrade over what we saw last year, but not his peak, not even close to his peak, what it's been. I just wonder with McCann, and this might be in my own head, Joe, but he has been a backup, right, before he came to the Mets. And I thought at times last year, coming off a a game where he didn't start or coming off the bench were his best moments. So I just wonder, did the Mets overplay their hand and sign a guy? There's two things here. Did the Mets... Sign a guy that projects better as a backup, as a starter, and an expensive one in terms of the market. Or did McCann not, I don't want to say not realize, he works hard. Was McCann not ready for that kind of workload? He played more games last year than he ever has in his career before. 121 games. And... You know, it's it wasn't the he didn't have the most uh, plate appearances by any stretch, but still, I just look at it and go, is there something different? Does he need more rest? Let's not forget Nito got hurt last year and Nito looked like a very, very solid backup. I just think, is there is there more of a split than we need that makes McCann more fresh and a better player? 
where you can, you know, you, you can trust your backup enough, though, to play more in Nito. I think that's something the Mets need to experiment with this year uh, for the best of everyone. I think if if they're both healthy, you don't want to necessarily make it a 50-50 split. But platoon? yeah, it, <laughs> it could be a platoon of sorts for sure. Um, but I think definitely 65-35. Yeah, splitting up McCann and Nito a little more might be beneficial to both. Um, like you said, you know, this was the most games that McCann has played in. 2019, his all-star year, he was pretty much the same. It was 118. But, uh, you know, I think the Mets looked at 2019 as, you know, okay, that was he, – he figured something out in Chicago. And then he obviously was really good in the truncated season, but – Obviously, we don't want to put much stock in that, but they did. So uh, they saw something that they thought was good, and obviously it didn't pan out at all this year. I think defensively he was okay. Like the throwing arm was a, a positive. I thought it was good to see, to have that catcher that's able to throw some guys out. Um, he was all in all pretty solid behind the plate. Uh, not great, but you know, better than Wilson Ramos, that's for sure. Um, oh, good God. Yeah, the four years obviously is the problem. If they gave him 220 or 330, you know, we may not be as concerned about it. Uh, but yeah, I think I think he's got to split time with Nito to some to some degree, whether that's 65, 35, 60, 40, something like that, because I think they both. I, I almost think Nito benefited from playing more, and McCann benefited more from playing less. So. Yeah, if, I agree. If you, could, if you could split that to to some degree, I think you'll get the best out of it. And it's you know not a not a platoon because the lefty righty splits whatever. There's it's not much. They're both right handed hitters, but uh, I think splitting them up would be probably for the betterment of the Mets. Regard and like just put his contract aside and just realize about what's going to be better for winning baseball games. I think so too, and I think this team is in a position where. They can do that now. You know, you're not looking at it and go, oh, we, the Wilpons would be like, oh, we have to play a guy because we paid him. But this is not how the Mets are going to operate. And, you know, he's not on like a 10 year deal. He's not making 20 million a year. But you're right. It's it's an overpay and it's you're hoping for a bounce back. So the next question is from Dis 1977, who asked when baseball returns. Do you think the Mets should add depth with minor league deals for pitching and wait until the trade deadline to see where they need? the most help. Yes. I think they need another legit starter. Right. That's what I was going to say. Yes, they definitely should use minor league de deals to get depth everywhere they can. Like I think there's going to be guys that would normally get major league deals that won't this year and you can you know be opportunistic in that market and I think that it's important to continue to create that depth, but they absolutely need to get another starter whether that's a trade for a Sean Manaya or Chris Bassett or Frankie Montas or a trade for one of the Cincinnati arms or another arm that we don't know that's available uh, or a free agent. Maybe they sign you say Kikuchi, someone like that. Like they need one more legitimate starter for the rotation. Um, I think they need at least one bullpen arm, preferably a lefty, ideally two bullpen arms. Um, obviously if you listen back to last week's show, I basically covered, those options, I gave you the Sean Manaya. I gave you a trade for Caleb Smith and a signing of Jerry's Familia. 
Like if they do that, I think that kind of solves the bulk of your issues. But the reason I like this question was not so much for the first part, but for the second part about the trade deadline. And I think it's important for fans to realize these when these teams are building their roster, obviously the the stars are, you know, the Scherzers, the Lindors, the the big name moves, like those are the ones that they're making for the long-term, you know, World Series aspirations. But generally speaking, teams are building their roster to be competitive until July 31st. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean they're purposely leaving a hole open for a trade, but they're not going absolutely crazy at every position because they realize we can pay a premium in the offseason or we can wait until the trade deadline realize you know maybe jeff mcneil does bounce back uh you know maybe taiwan walker has a good year what you know whatever name name your your uh, situation but you don't really know your team until july and i think the 2015 mets are a prime example uh come May and June, it was, this is the worst offensive team in baseball. This, this team stinks. This team isn't any good. Then, you know, they pick up Juan Uribe and Kelly Johnson. They they pick up Tyler Clippard. Then they make the swing for Cespedes and boom, things change. So you build up your team to get to the deadline as a competitor. And then you utilize the trade deadline to put yourself over the top. I feel like that's the ideal usage of kind of the time. Uh, so that's why that's why I like this question more. The second half, um, the first half agreed minor league depth, but they do need a real starter as well. For sure. I, you can't play it where you go into the year opening up the door with too many needs because the trade deadline, as we saw last year, gets really expensive and you don't want to be selling your farm in a in a crunch. But you also don't want to go into you can't go into the year thinking you solved every hole and, and backed it up three times um so there is a fine balance and it's it, it was a really good question because what is the fine balance is the is what everybody's trying to figure out and i i think the mets we've been very confident that they're going to be highly active when the lockout ends and they're going to be trying to figure that exact balance out as well the last question on today's mailbag from sinister basis What's one? I really like this one. What's one unpopular opinion that you have for a Mets player this season? For me, Robinson Cano will be at least average this season. What is uh, what is yours, Joe? I, I have not. I've been sitting here. I've been looking at this question in the rundown for quite some time, and I'm trying. I'm truly kind of stuck on unpopular opinion i guess i'll give one good one and one bad one but i'll let you go first and if you need more time i can give the bad one now i am good and i wasn't gonna be bad just shows the our personalities i don't have a bad one i'm going i'm going good and only good and that's carlos carrasco is gonna bounce back in a big way i uh, love that yes i i think i mean you just look at carlos carrasco's career i mean obviously he was hurt like the a lot of things were screwed up about Carrasco's 2021. He had the hamstring tear that took a while. He had the the arm deal and the Mets were so desperate for starting that they basically let him have a rehab start of three innings or no, it was two, two rehab starts of two innings and then three innings. Um, he didn't have a spring training. He didn't have a real rehab assignment. He was rehabbing on a major league diamond. 
this is a guy that, I mean, all you have to do is look at his career. He is, as frankly, one of the most consistent pitchers in baseball. Like he was consistently a top 10, top 15, or top 20, whatever starter in baseball. And, you know, obviously he's entering age 35. So there's some, there's some risk that he's on a decline now. But I just think 2021 feels like it was such an outlier for his career that, you know, I'm not saying he's going to bounce back and be, you know, a number two starter, but maybe Carlos Carrasco is the number three starter that, you know, we're all saying the Mets need. Maybe they already have it. I love that one because I fully agree. Number one, every number. And when you break down last year's scenario should tell you that Carrasco will not only be much better, but should be a legitimate piece in the middle of the rotation. Now I'll piggyback that one and say, I think Tyler McGill will be a serviceable number five. I'm not just like completely writing him off as this, you know, doesn't matter or they need to sign more and push him out of the rotation. I don't I think that's fair. I think, you know, you, you ideally do not want to go into the year with McGill in the rotation, but if they do, I think there is something to him that he can truly be that innings eating number five that hovers around a little over a four ERA and goes out there and throws for you. And if you can get that out of him or David Peterson two obviously very cost effective arms and one of them hits is the number five. That's a huge win. So my unpopular opinion, I don't know if this is even unpopular because it's so incomplete, but as it stands right now, I am terrified that the Mets bullpen is going to be a disaster this year. And obviously there is a lot of work to be done here and they are going to spend on the bullpen when the lockout ends. But if they let the market kind of evaporate in front of them in this frenzy when the lockout ends, I think they're in really big trouble. I really do. And I'm not even looking at your boy Diaz and th- like, I'm not like, I like Edwin Diaz a lot. I think Edwin Diaz is completely fine as their closer. I'm talking about how you get to Edwin Diaz, especially with a rotation that it could either be hit with injuries again or guys not making long starts. How do you get from the sixth inning to Diaz? And as it stands right now, they just don't have a lot of guys that you consider. And, and nothing's a sure thing in the bullpen. You know, this sure. it's not a team full of Josh haters and stuff like that. But I'm just saying, if I look at this Mets team right now, I have literally zero confidence in this bullpen to finish games, no matter who the starter is. So I think that's interesting because um, for being uh, if we really look at the bullpen, I think that just shows how big of a piece Aaron Loop was, right? Yes. Because everything else is coming back, essentially. I mean, you know, Miguel Castro is still here. Uh, Trevor Bay is still here. I think Seth Lugo is another bounce back candidate. I think he's going to have a really good 2022. But the Aaron Loop point, you know, obviously I think the Mets made the right decision in not outbidding the Angels for Aaron Loop. Like, Aaron Loop had an amazing year, but there's nothing about his career that suggests he should have been, you know, a nine or more million dollar a year reliever. So I understand that, uh, why they let Loop go. But to your point, not having that guy, at least 
as currently constructed. Maybe they sign your boy Andrew Chafin, and your opinion changes a little bit. Maybe they trade for a Caleb Smith, like I like I suggested, and you know you'll have you'll have some doubts about him going into spring training. But I think he could potentially you know prove you wrong. But I think what what your point about the bullpen really outlines is Aaron Loop was a big loss, even if it was the right move to do it. It just shows how how big of a piece he was that you're kind of like, you know, they got Trevor May, they got Lugo, they got Castro. I think you and I are both big fans of Drew Smith, but it's definitely feels like something's missing with loop being gone. That, and I think they kind of caught a flash in the pan for a lot of last year with Jerry's familia. I think that, yeah. you know, who's obviously a free agent right now. It could very well return to the Mets, but I, that wouldn't, you know, eliminate my fears because I think Familia is just going to be a roller coaster reliever for as long as, you know, he's pitching in the major leagues. Obviously, 2019 was a disaster. He was horrific. Uh, 2020, he was fine. And 2021, once again, he, I think he finished poorly. But overall, I thought they got a lot out of Familia that nobody saw coming. So I just, you know, obviously, I, I wasn't a believer Luke would ever be able to replicate that. And I don't think Familia will be able to replicate, will replicate his 2021 or 2020. But I just, those are two spots, Joe. Those are two spots in a market that's a little thin. And I just, I just look at it and go, man, I think the, the fear of the rotation's health and young arms, right? Peterson, McGill, guys that, you know, you might not be pushing a lot every night. And I don't, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Buck will. I think it's just a question I have right now is like, who is really going to be a seventh inning horse every night? Is it Miguel Castro? Maybe who, you know, is, is shaky, but fine. I just, but you're also one Castro injury away from God knows what. Yeah. I think you're looking at Lugo or May, right. As your primary seventh inning guy, as, as we stand today, because you have Diaz closing, you have Lugo and May, and then, like you said, Castro, Smith. And from there, I mean, when you look at this bullpen depth chart, it's not deep. That's where I think I might have a little more concern rather than necessarily yes. who's pitching the seventh inning. I think the seventh inning, they're going to be able to make that work. But, I mean, I'm just looking at uh, my Google sheet here. And I have to, by the way, I have to move Trevor Williams over into the bullpen. I still have him listed as a starter. But Diaz, on the 40-man roster right now for relievers, Diaz, Lugo, May, Castro, Drew Smith, Trevor Williams, Sean Reed Foley, Yancy Diaz, Jake Reed, and waiver claim Antonio Santos from this offseason. So the bullpen depth is a bit of an issue. Um, McGill and Peterson are going to be starters either on the big league roster if there's an injury in spring training or in AAA, you know, waiting for the inevitable injury, even if it's a cracked fingernail, like something that requires someone else to start double headers, uh, stuff like that. Double right? header. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll find use for those guys. But I think for your bullpen point to me, it's, it's definitely more about the depth in the bullpen. Um, obviously you want to replace loops lefty production um, as best you can. That's obviously good. I think going to be one of the priorities when they come out, when we get out of this lockout. But the depth of this bullpen is certainly a problem because there's there's really not much in at the AAA level that you can count on. I do think you'll see Eric Orsi this year. Um, I've said that a couple of times when people have asked me on Twitter because I think a lot of people look at look at this too and go, 
well, what are they going to do depth wise in the bullpen? And Eric Orsi is a name I think definitely to keep an eye on. Uh, but yeah, I think the depth's a problem. And for your positive, I want to touch on McGill quick. I think honestly, you might even be underselling him about what he could be. I think he's more than a number five starter. Like that's a legit fastball with legit life that has the characteristics that make you know uh, swings and misses occur. Uh, slider is a really good second pitch. It's that change up in that curveball that need a little work, but flashed pretty good. Uh, so I was a little surprised, honestly, um, that he even threw much of a change up or a curveball because he didn't do that in the minor leagues. He really was a two pitch guy, which is why I, I always project him as a reliever. But obviously he has more in the tank than we thought. And he is a relentless worker. Um, and, you know, everything I hear about him, like, I think, you know, I'm not saying they have McGill's a future, you know, number two starter, but he might be a number three or number four. Truly, I truly think he has that in him. And, you know, he's a guy that, you know, they call him ice because not he has never wavered. He has never wavered. He's never thrown off. He's the same guy. Pitch one, the pitch, whatever, never rattled. Like to me, he ha he has he has more than number five uh, potential on him. Obviously, you know maybe on this staff in this year that could be like what he is. But yeah, I definitely think McGill's a guy that maybe you're underselling just the tad. I hope so. God, I would love that. If yeah. <laughs> I, my expectations are, I'd be happy with him as a five. Uh, if he's anything more than that, somebody who. I didn't even know who he was this time last year. I, I'd be really excited. So, man, all this talk just has me so excited for this freaking offseason to get going again, man. Like, I we get to I react to signings. We get to go on streams and recap it all. And, I mean, get it done. Oh, my goodness, man. Get it done. I, You know, as this episode winds down, that's, that's my main takeaway. Find a way. But, Joe, episode 81. Uh, do not forget the Janeshwi Fargus episode. What are your closing thoughts? He's a minor league free agent. They're they're free to bring him back. Um, but I'll say this uh, throughout the week. So after we record on Tuesdays, by Thursday, I'm back being sick of baseball. But every time we get to talk, to get now I'm juiced up. I Me want too. spring training. I want opening day. I want to see these guys in uniform playing, getting ready for opening day. So I'm with you. Get a damn deal done. Figure out the damn arbitration pool, the stupid, you know, the minimum salary. Figure all that stuff out. Let's get going because I want to watch these guys in action. I want to see moves. Like you said, I want to react to what the Mets do next. And, you know, we'll continue doing this podcast. And, you know, thank you, everyone, for continuing to support us through, you know, frankly, a time when there's not a ton to talk about. Right. Like we're. We're making it work, and a lot of that is due to the questions that you all submit to us on in Apple reviews and and through Twitter. But yeah, I, every time we have this conversation, I'm just like, bring me baseball, please. Yeah, man, I'm with you. I, I think there's just no other way around it. We're we're dying for baseball, and I, I'm glad you said that. It, we really do appreciate everybody that has subscribed to the YouTube channel to get us to a thousand continue to download these episodes uh, because even in a year, like if there was no pending lockout, 
Joe and I didn't want to take a break. We wanted to do the pod year round. We didn't want to take the off season off. And we, we kind of knew with the, with the pending lockout, if there could be a couple of weeks here that are, you know, tough, quite frankly, just tough. And, and the fact that we, cause we see it, we see that everybody is stuck around, downloaded, listen, interacted with the show. Um, it, it helps us so much. It helps the show so much. And, when things do get back up and running again, it will just be that much better. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into episode number 81. We are chasing down number 100. We will catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dawes. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.